Uh, if you can open up your Bibles, if you've got them, we're looking at Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Acts 19, verses 1 through 10. For those that don't know me, uh, my name is Jimmy Fowler. I'm the executive pastor here at Redeemer Fellowship, and it is my uh, privilege to be able to um, look at God's Word with you this morning. Acts 19, verses 1 to 10, as we continue our series through Acts. So for those that, that know my wife and I, Michelle, uh, she was here at first service. If you know Michelle and I, uh, you probably know and understand that we are two very different people, very different people in a lot of ways, in a lot of situations. One of us is a work in progress, not going to say who, but it's me, it's, it's me. Michelle's family uh, growing up is uh, and is uh, a very loving, compassionate, uh, soft-spoken, um, Everyone gets together, they, they, enjoy, they actually they enjoy each other, like, like it's a very close-knit family that, that gets together, and, uh, and Michelle's parents were very protective and, and still are very protective uh, of their children. They, they monitored what they watched, what they listened to, what they read, who they hung out with, um, very tightly, very tightly. Uh, I mean, I remember when I first moved up to Canada, and I, uh, this was before Michelle and I were dating, before kind of anything uh, transpired, uh, Michelle's mom had invited me over to their house for lunch. And, you know, literally did she know that was one of the sparks that led into the fire that is the Fowlers, right? And they invite me over, and they have this beautiful home, beautiful property, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is nice. And I get in there, and I see this massive, and I mean massive, entertainment unit. You know what I'm talking about? Those old school entertainment units, the big cabinets, and you kind of, it was nice and deep and wide, and you would open it up, and you'd have this, the, the TV that you would all sit there and enjoy, and I see this big, big cabinet. They're like, we're going to watch a movie. I'm like, oh, this is going to be, okay, this is going to be fun. And everyone sits down, like, right in front of the cabinet, and I'm like, these guys are really, really kind. They're, like, letting me sit in the back on the couch. This is great, wonderful, and, you know, they opened it up, and it was this big, a TV this big. Michelle, to this day, says it was a colored TV. Like it had, I was like, no, that thing was black and white. Either that or I was so depressed and discouraged when I saw it that the beauty of all color left the world for me. But Michelle's mom would also always have a movie that they would watch, but then a, a backup movie that was already approved. So if there was language or situations or something, she would just switch it out right away. You know, if you remember Star Wars, when uh, Leia's like, I love you, and Hans is like, I know, she's like, done, done, too much sexual tension, this movie's over, right? <laughs> Me, on the other hand, I didn't have a lot of these sort of rules <laughs> growing up. You know, I grew up with, with my father really watching a lot of uh, different types of movies and shows and listening to different types of, of music. Um, I grew up watching uh, In Living Color, Married with Children, watching movies like Flash Gordon and, and things like that, Big Trouble in Little China, like these sort of just kind of trashy sort of movies. And, and every once in a while, I kind of get in this mood. I don't know if it's I'm, like it's a coping mechanism. I get depressed. and I'm like, you know what? It's time for a little Flash Gordon. I'm going to watch Flash Gordon or one of these kind of shows. And, and we'll put it on. And as we're watching it, Michelle just stops. She did it again last night. She just stops and she goes, 
I understand better why you are the way you are. <laughs> I mean, she's got a point to it. She's got a point because things influence us, right? Things influence us. What we read and what we watch, who we hang out with, what we consume really does influence us, right? I mean, the world tries to influence us today. They try to tell us what is acceptable and what is not. They try to tell us what we should believe and what we should not. They try to tell us what we should uh, uh, lay aside when it comes to Scripture. I mean, our family influences us. I am very much a product of my family, I'm very much a product of my upbringing. That's not to say any negative thing about me is their fault, but I'm going to give them at least 30%. But our family influences us in a large degree, and our peers. As we grow up, we, we kind of learn that if we want to be friends with people, we're going to sort of like the things they'd like, watch the things they watch, do the things that they do. As believers, we're called to, to influence our children, we're called to influence our children, to discipline our children, uh, or disciple our children in the way of the Lord, that they would grow up to know him and love him. And as we look at our text today, really what we're, we're talking about is that which we're influenced to, sometimes we become a disciple of. Those things that we allow ourselves to sit under tends to lead us in how we think, believe, and act. In our text this morning, there's a main question that's being asked. What makes a disciple of Jesus? What makes one, what gives one the ability to call themselves a disciple of Jesus? I mean, is it growing up in the church, being raised in it? Is it going to Bible studies? Is it showing up on Sunday mornings? What is it that makes a disciple of Jesus. And I, what I'd like for us to see this morning is this, that a disciple of Jesus trusts Jesus, imitates Jesus, and perseveres with Jesus. That a disciple of Christ will trust him, imitate him, and persevere with him. And if you've got your Bibles there, looking at Acts 19, verses 1 to 10 say this, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a spirit, a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Please pray with me. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for 
I, I thank you for the truth that, that you have given us and the ability to, to, to be able to seek after you and to know you more. Lord, I thank you for how the word, that, you, that by your spirit you use the word to direct our hearts and our minds. I pray, Father, that your spirit would be here with us now, softening our hearts, renewing our minds, receiving your word, receiving your correction, receiving your encouragement. Lord, I pray that, that you'd be with us as we look at what does it mean to, to be a disciple, to be your disciple, to follow after you, to say that we are uh, uh, followers of the way. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So a disciple of Jesus trusts Jesus, imitates Jesus, and perseveres with Jesus. And we'll be looking at all three of those categories, trusting in Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and, and persevering with Jesus. But first, let's just kind of re take a step back and, and re-look at where we've come from to get to the place that we're at. You know, uh, we saw last week that Apollos was in Ephesus himself. And actually, before that, Paul was in Ephesus, and that he had found uh, that people were receiving him well. So well that they were begging him to stay. They said, please stay, stay with us, stay among us. And he says, I will return if the Lord wills it. And so he goes on, but he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there. And there they meet this young man, this man named Apollos, who scripture says was, was eloquent and he was learned and, and he understood, you know, to a certain degree, said that he was a smart man and that of, uh, but that his knowledge was incomplete. He wasn't incorrect, but it was incomplete. And it says that Priscilla and Aquila uh, pulled him aside and they taught him more accurately the things of Jesus. And that God used Apollos in such a, such a mighty way there, right? He used him in such a mighty way to proclaim boldly there in Ephesus and then they sent him out from there to Corinth. Well, here now we have Paul fulfills his promise to go back to Ephesus. And so there's a bit of a continuation of our previous section with Apollos, where he had an incomplete understanding of the gospel. Now Paul encounters disciples of John the Baptist who also have an incomplete understanding of it. And so Paul starts, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I mean, that to me is, is a little bit of a problematic reading of the text, right? Because if they, were, if they had a Jewish background, if they had a Jewish background, they, there's no way that they wouldn't have heard about the Holy Spirit, that the promised Holy Spirit would come. It's even become more problematic when it, they describe themselves as disciples of John, where John himself taught about the Holy Spirit. And Luke, as he wrote his gospel, uh, who also wrote here the Acts of the Apostles, when he wrote his gospel, Luke 3, 16 says this, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So it's, 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 Problematic to look and say, okay, how is it then that they, they didn't know about the Holy Spirit at all? And as you read kind of commentaries and scholars and, and people go back and forth and use mighty big words that I just don't know how to pronounce, there seems to be this consensus that, that maybe there's a, a, a better way 
of looking at this text. And, and uh, a scholar by the name of Ben Witherington III wrote in his, the reply should probably be translated literally, but we have not heard if the Spirit is. The reply then could mean that they had not heard that the Spirit is now manifest, present, given, or poured out. See the similar phrase in, in John 7? This would be understandable if they had little or no contact with Christians prior to meeting Paul. So it's not that, it's not that they didn't realize that there was a Holy Spirit, but they didn't realize that the Holy Spirit had come, had manifest, had been poured out. And so uh, Paul asked, what baptism? They said, this baptism of repentance, this baptism uh, of John. And so when we talk about this baptism of repentance and this baptism of faith in Jesus, we touched on it last week, but I think it's, it's important to hit on again, that when we look at this baptism of repentance, that is looking forward to Jesus' coming. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is looking forward to the Messiah is, is to come. The Messiah will walk among us. The Messiah will be here. It looks forward to Jesus' coming. But this baptism of faith in Jesus, it doesn't look forward. It looks back to Jesus' work, to his life, his death, his resurrection. See, what we're looking at here is that Jesus himself is the object of our faith. Jesus himself is the center of our faith. Jesus is preeminent glorious. We read in Colossians that all things hold together, that Jesus holds all things together. Any belief that does not point to Jesus as the Messiah is a false belief. Any belief that does not point to Jesus's work on the cross is a false belief. Any belief that does not point to Jesus's perfect life of obedience to God is a false belief. You see, this is, this is the gospel that we're talking about. Jesus is that center of our faith, that his life, his death, his resurrection, that God himself came, he put on flesh, and that he walked among us, and that he represented us, and that he himself lived this perfect, sinless life, obeying the law, following the law's demands, where we couldn't, where, where we needed, where we needed forgiveness. Jesus himself then, his work on the cross, he takes the just punishment for our sin. God being holy must, must punish sin. And so Jesus himself took that punishment on the cross and three days later rose from the dead, ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, Father interceding on our behalf right now. This is the gospel this is the center of our faith, what Jesus has done for us. So while this baptism of repentance looks forward to Jesus, we know as believers in Christ that we have been baptized by faith in Jesus and we look back to his work. And the passage continues on. And notice there's, there's a sequence. They hear this to be baptized. There's this laying on of hands that they receive the Holy Spirit. And it talks about this Holy Spirit being tongued out or uh, being poured out, and that it manifests in two ways tongues and in prophecy. Now, earlier in Acts, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was accompanied by tongues, but, but tongues were described as each person understanding in their own language. Here, we don't have a description, we don't have an interpreter. 
But when he talks about prophesying, sometimes we kind of get this, we get this picture because there's certain sections within, within Christianity that, that look at prophesying as something more like a fortune teller, foretelling something that's going to happen. Where scripture witnesses of, of prophecy is more of a foretelling, proclaiming forth what the word of God has already said. That's by Rob Stein in, um, in his book. But it's this forthtelling. It's proclaiming forth the word of God to the world. And then they continue training. They go to this hall of Tyrannus. And so it's like this lecture hall. And in some manuscripts, it kind of actually adds in that, that it was, he would go into this hall from like 11 to 3. So like the heat of the day. So typically, if you had lectures, you had, you had school, you're kind of out in the open. So those classes would be more in the morning, right? And so while Tyrannus had his classes in the morning, Paul would be able to work as a tent maker and then go during the heat of the day because the hall was open to be able to train these disciples. That's some dedication. And it says for two years, and this is the only spot during, uh, that we have recorded during Paul's missionary journeys that he spent a three-year teaching ministry. And it makes sense. As we look at, at Scripture here, at the, the, the impact of church planting in the region, Ephesus was sort of like a crossroads for the community, for, for that world. And so from there, these disciples went out and, and proclaimed the gospel to the world. And we read about a lot of these churches, uh, uh, their faithfulness in, in Revelation 2 and 3. So... Here we have these individuals, these disciples, with an incomplete understanding. What makes a disciple of Jesus? Well, a disciple of Jesus trusts in Jesus. As we, as we sung, you are our everything. You are my all. You are everything that I need. And when we talk about faith, we're, we're talking about trusting in God's promises and his character. The Second London Baptist Confession, the 1689, chapter 14, paragraph 2, says it like this. By this faith, a Christian believes to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word for the authority of God himself and also apprehends an excellency therein above all other writings and all things in the world as it bears forth the glory of God in his attributes, the excellency of Christ in his nature and offices, and the power and fullness of the Holy Spirit in his workings and operations. And so is enabled to cast his soul upon the truth consequently believed, and also acts differently upon that which each particular passage thereof contains, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. But the principal acts of saving faith have immediate relation to Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. We trust in what God's word has told us about Jesus and who he is and about God and who he is and what they've done. 
We look to him and know that he is the only reason why we have salvation. And we accept this, we receive this, and we rest upon this alone for our justification. That justification that what is it to be declared righteous before God? It's not by our works or our doing. It's not just because we were raised up within the church. It's not just because we've read the Bible or that we've shown up on Sunday morning. No, our justification rests only on Jesus. And we trust and have faith in what we, we don't see. You know, Hebrews 11 says this. Now, faith, faith is the assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We look forward to that day where we stand before our God, where we stand before our Savior. But there comes a point in our lives for some of us that, that have not grown up in the church and, but uh, uh, came to a point of understanding and learning, I need a Savior. I need a Savior for my sins, because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Not just some. Not just those on the outside. Not just those that, that were not born and raised within the congregation. All have sinned. And sometimes people look at they go, Well, I mean, how, how bad is bad? Well, I've never murdered anyone, but Jesus says if you've got hate in your heart. I've never stolen, but Jesus says if you've had Envy or covetousness in your heart. All have sinned. Each and every single one of us. We are all in the same boat with the same condition. And we respond to God's call with repentance and belief. Mark 1. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, the, uh, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from what you are doing. Believe in me. Rest in me. And we're called then to part of faith is nurturing our relationship with God through prayer and in studying his word, Romans 10. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we nurture that relationship with God. Much like how we nurture our relationship with our significant others. We spend time with them. We get to know them. And here we, get, we read and we converse. We depend and we dedicate ourselves to him. And we nurture so we grow in our faith. And part of that faith then is as we grow is learning how to trust in God's faithfulness in every situation. Psalm 37, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. We like to kind of go it alone, trusting in ourselves, trusting in our own abilities, trusting in our own intellect and in our own strength. And yet we must trust in God's faithfulness in every, in every circumstance. That he knows what is good and perfect. That his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that we trust that God's ways are perfect and good. And so we become more like Jesus where we move from this kingdom of darkness into light, Acts 26, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may, they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. From the power of Satan to God. I mean, Scripture talks about that the world, that the unbelievers are in this darkness, 
They are slaves to the enemy. But we, those who are, are called in Christ at this conversion, we are moved from darkness to light. The blind can now see. Those with a, the heart of stone now have this heart of flesh. And we then, then live under this lordship of Jesus in Colossians. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so we live under this lordship of Jesus. And as Americans, that's, that's probably one of the things, at least I as an American, struggle with. Because, I mean, didn't we get rid of the king before? We're not going to live under them. We like to tell ourselves that I get to make my way. I get to do what I want. No, I've got all this freedom. People don't tell me what to do. Fine. Civil sense, let's go ahead and move that, put that aside. But in God's economy, in the kingdom economy, no, that's rebellion. We are called to, the, to be and live and surrender under the lordship of Jesus, our king. And we talk about, when looking at our conversion, we're, we're looking at justification and regeneration. We're looking at how we're declared righteous through faith in Christ. Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We no longer have this war. We no longer have this enmity. We no longer have this strife. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Praise God that, that we could not declare ourselves righteous. We could not justify ourselves. We could not work hard enough. We could not pray hard enough. We could not obey good enough. But because of Jesus, what he has done, we are now declared righteous. And we, from there, move forward in our relationship, in this sanctification, this changing, this renewing, leaving the old life behind, Titus 3. But with the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so we surrender our will to God's will. We read in Galatians 2, it's not my life that I live. And we walk in obedience to God's commands. John 14, 15. And brothers and sisters, this is a hard, for me, this is a convicting verse. This is a convicting word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We are called to walk according to God's ways. Now, we, we have an understanding and knowledge that we don't, we don't follow God. We're not obedient to God's commands for our salvation. We are not obedient to God's commands for our justification. We're not obedient to God's commands to somehow tip the scales. We are obedient to God's commands in response to the salvation that he has given us. It is in response to what he has done. It is a response, and it's also just a, a dedication and a dependability of ourselves unto him, acknowledging and showing that we are sinners, that we struggle 
that we have faults, that we doubt, but that, Lord, we come under you as, as Lord and Savior, and your ways are perfect and good, and we will follow you. A disciple of Jesus trusts in him, imitates him, and then perseveres with him. Brothers and sisters, this walk can be difficult. I mean, that's why they talk about mountaintop experiences, right? There's highs and there are lows. And I've been on the highs and I've seen the lows. But through it all, persevering with Jesus, some of us will have seasons of drought where we are just spiritually dry. Some of us will have seasons of doubt where we just wonder, what do I believe? Some of us will have seasons of just not even caring. What's the point of this? Why does it really matter? And while we have this, our union with God will never falter, but our our communion with God ebbs and flows. It it feels up sometimes, and it feels down at other times. And and, and it's not just this one and done when it comes to salvation. It's, it's once we come to the saving faith, there the process of sanctification begins and it will continue for the rest of your life until you stand before him in glory. And it's intentional and it's difficult. But when we talk about sanctification, something being sanctified, we're talking about being set apart for God's purposes being set apart for his will. 1 Thessalonians 4. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that each of you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told beforehand, And solemnly warned you. For God, verse 7 here, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Right? God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You know, he uses this picture here of of marriage. And I mean, throughout Scripture, we see this picture of marriage between between the church and God, the, the bride and the groom. This, this intimate relationship, this closeness of one another. And that we are called as the bride of Christ to keep ourselves pure and holy. We are set apart for God's purposes. But praise God, we are not alone through that process. We are not alone. As we look at Philippians 2, verse 12. And this is what a passage, people like to just focus on this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only my presence, but much more my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, looking at that passage just right there, it feels like, how am I going to be able to do this? I got to work out my my salvation with fear and with trembling? How could I do that? I've struggled and I've failed. I've tried to persevere, but I can't. But verse 13 For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Beloved, we are not left alone in this sanctification process. We are called to intentionality. We are called to press forward. 
We are called to commit ourselves to this. We are called to, to, to persevere. But the Holy Spirit is there with us, this great counselor leading us and guiding us, convicting us and encouraging us. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And with sanctification, we, we grow and mature in Christ, 2 Peter 3, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't just stay at the same spot that we were at when, when we came to a saving faith. We don't just stay in the same position now. We are continually pressing in, knowing and looking to know God more and more. To not just know him at an intellectual level, but to know him, to know him with this deep affection and dependency upon him. So that we do not lose our first love and go through the motions. And we continue to grow in sanctification so, uh, because of our need to continue to be learning how to overcome sin and grow in righteousness. Romans 6. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. You have been set free from sin. You are no longer held bondage to that. But now you are slaves of God. You are under his lordship. We are called to overcome sin and grow in righteousness, not for our justification. And we do this by pursuing holiness daily through spiritual disciplines. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. We pursue daily these disciplines. Our time, well, as we talked about a lot here at Redeem, we, we discuss these means of grace, where we spend time in, in our personal study, in our personal prayer, as we gather together on Sunday morning, as we gather together midweek, as we get to partake in the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. All these are these spiritual disciplines and these means of grace that help us as we pursue sanctification in our lives. Because sanctification is, is also then helping when we're, as we're called to be witnessing to a lost world. Witnessing to the lost world and witnessing in our home to other believers. Because we're called to live as ambassadors reflecting his character to those around us. Brothers and sisters, are you a disciple of Jesus? What makes you a disciple? Are you pressing in, pressing on? All of us go through seasons. That season doesn't necessarily mean you never had salvation. But a disciple presses Trusting in Jesus, becoming like Jesus, persevering with Jesus, so that one day we'll stand with Jesus in glory. 
and hear those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, I, I praise you for your word. I praise you for... I praise you for the work that you've been doing in my life. I praise you for the work I've seen you do in others' lives. Father, I pray that, that our trust in you would just grow, that we would have more and more faith in you, that we would press in, that we would come under your lordship. And Father, I pray that for those of us that have, have proclaimed faith in you, Lord, that, that we would grow and mature and depend upon you more and love you more. And Lord, I pray for those that, that don't know you, Father. I, I ask, Lord, that you would work on their hearts, that you would work on their hearts, soften their heart to receive your word, Father, and I pray that, that they may come to a saving knowledge and seeing their need for their salvation because, Lord, if not but your grace, I would be in the same position. None of us are better than the other. It is only because of your grace and of your mercy that we have forgiveness and are justified before you. We pray this all in your name. Amen.